How appropriate the music this morning. Jesus Christ, our living hope. You know, I've mentioned this to you before, but it's appropriate to mention again. In the case of individuals who have made the tragic decision to end their own life, to commit suicide, if they leave a note, the most common feature of that note or in interviews of those who have actually tried to take their own life but were prevented, rescued, uh, because they were caught in the act of dying before they had expired. And when they're interviewed afterwards, the common thread, the most common feature of their testimony, whether it be given to uh, a medical practitioner speaking to them afterwards, or whether it be in a note that they left behind, the most common feature is they had no hope. They had lost hope that their life would ever be better, that their life would ever change for the better. They saw nothing but doom and gloom going forward. They had no hope. This is appropriate because today's message is entitled, Hold Fast to Hope. The word hope occurs three times in the verses that our brother Gilson read for us this morning. In this passage, our Lord Jesus Christ is revealed as the refuge and anchor of your soul, your only hope of salvation. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, if you're trusting in something else, church affiliation, your good works, your prayers, your giving, that you're a nice person and your good deeds outweigh your bad, there is one thing I want you to take away from this. God wants you to know that the hope of safe refuge and salvation is only found in Jesus it's not found in church attendance. It's not found in attendance at this church. It's not found in your good works, your prayers, your giving, or anything else but what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross when he bore the sins of the world in his body, shed his precious blood and died, and then three days later rose from the dead. God accepting his sacrifice and raising him to the right hand of the Father. God wants you to know this. If you're a believer in Christ, if you have trusted him, then God wants you to know that if you have truly trusted in Jesus for salvation, that your hope is secure because he will hold you fast. We're going to examine these verses under three headings. Hold fast because God is not unjust. That's a good reason to hold fast. You're holding fast to a God who is always fair and just. Hold fast because God always fulfills his promises. And then lastly, the main point that we'll look at is hold fast because Christ is holding fast to you. So let's look at the first point, that we should hold fast to hope because God is not unjust. The writer had just gone through a long warning to them not to turn away from Christ and to go back to Judaism. For us, 
The warning is do not turn away from Christ, do not renounce Christ, and turn to anything else. And this warning was long. It was the third of five warnings that he's going to give. But now his tone is changing. And he's going to encourage them throughout this passage and give them reasons for this encouragement. We should hold fast to hope because better things are coming. Unlike those who do sadly take their own life, there are better things coming for the believer in Christ, most assuredly for the believer in Christ. The writer writes, but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and the things that accompany salvation. He's convinced of two things concerning them who have truly trusted in Christ, that better things will happen to them. Perhaps he's thinking in this life, but most assuredly in the future life, in eternity. The grave is not the end. Because our Lord rose from the dead, so too one day will he raise up our bodies out of the dead to be with him forevermore. There were better things that would accompany salvation. Right now they were undergoing persecution, an intense trial of their faith. But he assures them that there is much more to the Christian life. Whether the writer was Paul, if it was not Paul, it most certainly was someone closely associated with Paul the Apostle who knew him well. Recall Acts chapter 16. Paul underwent one of his many trials. He's in a dungeon in Philippi. He's chained there in a cold, smelly dungeon. And what is he and Silas doing? About midnight, they are singing psalms and hymns of praise to God. In the midst of trials, even in trials, there are better things. And those things can be realized when we hold on to hope that our lives are in God's hands, God is in control, nothing takes him by surprise, and that there are better things coming, and the things of salvation especially. Hold fast to hope even when correction is needed. But, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and the things that accompany salvation. Though we are speaking in this way, he's just referring to the warning, the lengthy warning. We spent all in parts of three messages going over this warning. And though he warned them that it was impossible if they were to renounce Christ, if they were to basically admit they never believed and trusted in Christ at all and turned away from him and went back to Judaism, that it was impossible to renew them again to repentance as long as they rejected Christ. There was no salvation in anything else as long as they rejected Christ, it was impossible to renew them to repentance because repentance is only found 
Repentance and forgiveness is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he gave them this lengthy correction. And they needed to hold on to hope even in the midst of this correction, of this warning. His words are appropriate even for true believers as a warning. Look, none of us are perfect. We all fail our Lord. We all sin against God at times. We will not be perfect, the Scripture says, until we see Christ face to face, and then we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The sin question has been dealt with at the cross. The reality of sin will be dealt with when we see him face to face. We all need correction at times. We shouldn't become discouraged by the need of correction. In fact, by the time we get to Hebrews chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, he's going to write a longer discussion of correction or discipline by the Lord. He says that all true children of God are partakers of God's discipline. Why? Simply because none of us are perfect yet. All of us require correction or discipline at times. It's not punitive, unlike perhaps an earthly father. It's not punitive. He disciplines us, the Scripture says, for our good that we may share in His holiness. The reason why he chastens and disciplines, the reason why correction is given is for our good. Hold fast to hope even in the midst of correction because correction is an indication. Discipline and chastening and correction from God is an indication that you are a true child of God. He'll tell us in Hebrews chapter 12, if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons at all. If you have no chastening, no discipline, God doesn't discipline someone else's children. We don't discipline the neighbor's children. We correct our own children and discipline them. God is the same way. He only disciplines and corrects his own children. So if you're corrected, hold on to hope. That's confirmation that you are indeed a child of God. God doesn't hate you. He loves you. And he wants you to share in his holiness. He'll go on to say in Hebrews 12, to those who have been trained or disciplined, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God always has his children's best interests in mind, even in his correction, in his discipline, in his chastening. Hold fast to hope, even when correction is needed. It's confirmation that you are indeed a child of God. Hold fast to hope because God is just and he does not forget. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. 
God is not unjust. He is a just God. He is very different than the God of Quran. Allah can change his mind at the last moment. And though he's declared somebody to be righteous and worthy of heaven, Allah could change his mind and say, no, I'm going to send you to hell instead. But the God of Scripture, the Lord God, the judge of all who will be the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, is not unjust. He does not change his mind. He does not say you are righteous, but I'm sending you to eternal condemnation. He's not unjust. He remembers your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. He doesn't forget. You're not going to be standing before him and he's not going to scratch his head and say, now, remind me, why are you here? He knows. He remembers. It's our sins and our iniquities that he remembers no more. Now, that's not a case of divine Alzheimer's. That is active. Our sins and our iniquities, I will call to mind no more. You can translate it that way, and it would be perfectly legitimate. It's active. God chooses judicially not to hold our sins against us. Why? Because Christ paid the price for them on the cross, and we have repented of them, turned away from them, turned to Christ, and trusted in him and his shed blood for salvation. God will not forget. This is a point that Paul makes very clear uh, to the Corinthians. He says uh, in the last verse of chapter 15, he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He makes this same point even clearer to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 6, he says, And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. God remembers and God will reward. Hold fast to hope and continue to serve God no matter what. Remember, this is written to those who are in the midst of trials. Some of them have even lost their homes and lands, taken from them for being a Christian. Hold fast to hope and continue to serve God no matter what, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and still ministering to the saints. Here's why he's not going to forget because they're ministering. They ministered and they still min are still ministering and God will not forget that. Continue to serve God no matter what. Even in the midst of trials, he will not forget that. In fact, in serving him, that just reinforces our hope. It keeps us focused on what's important in life. The trial is actually secondary to the service. And the more we serve, even in the midst of adversity and in the trials of life, the more 
the true living hope is real to us. Hold fast to hope by being diligent until the end. The Christian life is not a 100-meter dash. It's not over in 10 seconds, or if it's me, 18 or 20 seconds at best. It's not a 100-meter dash. It's a marathon. It's lifelong. The Christian never rests on his laurels. He writes, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. Each one, no one who names the name of Christ is left out of this exhortation, left out of this instruction. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. He doesn't want us to become lazy. He wants us to continue to serve, to realize that full assurance of hope. You know, when we stop serving the Lord, when we turn our back on having an active, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, and every relationship is two-way, isn't it? You can't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and just be like a baby bird in the nest with your mouth open, feed me, feed me, feed me, give me, give me, give me. There's more to prayers than just give me. It's a two-way street. It still involves diligent service throughout one's life. (coughs) Excuse me, my apologies. Be diligent to continue to serve until the end. This reinforces that hope. This keeps that hope before us, vibrant and alive. Hold fast to hope so that you do not grow lazy and you will inherit God's promises. The reason why he exhorts them to be diligent, he explains the reason right here, so that you will not be sluggish or lazy. When one becomes sluggish and lazy, service dies. The way to keep service alive is to serve and to keep focused on the hope set before us. He tries to exhort them through the example of others. And did you know that your life is an example to others as well? Your life expresses the good news of Jesus Christ. As you live for Christ, speak for Christ, serve Christ, he brings forth the example of someone in the verses that follow. He says, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, when we get to Hebrews chapter 11, he's going to give us a long list of the heroes of faith, many who trusted in God and who hoped until the end, even in the face of death. But he's going to give one of the main ones in the verses that follow verse 12 here. 
And he wants them to be an imitator of Abraham, who he's going to mention in the next verse. Be an imitator of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Recall we did a study from Abraham's life, and we saw how many years he had to wait and wait and wait, 25 years to inherit the promise of a son, a son that God had promised. Be an imitator by trusting in God and being patient to inherit the promises. Let's look at holding fast to hope because God always fulfills his promises. Hold fast to hope because God has staked his reputation on his promises. For when God made the promise to Abraham that Abraham would have a son, that Abraham and his descendants would inherit this land, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And the scriptures tell us that that would be through the coming of Abraham's descendant, Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would bring salvation not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. God staked his reputation on his promise. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. He put his reputation on the line. He couldn't swear by anyone greater. Oh, men love to swear by something greater. In our Lord's day, they might swear by the temple. They might swear by the gold in the ceiling of the temple, and even better, oath to take to show that you're honest. They might swear by God, the highest of all. Oh, I, as, I remember as a child, there was still faith in God. A belief in God was the general belief. And I can remember if somebody said something and you didn't believe them, what they would say is, I swear to God. Well, God can't swear by anyone greater, for there is no one greater, so he swore by himself. He staked his reputation on it. If everything God has promised and said will come to pass does not, then his reputation is in, is in tatters and his name is worthless. But we have good reason to believe that that will not be the case because every promise and prophecy that he made that was intended to come true and be fulfilled in the past has. Not a single promise or prophecy has failed to come to pass. We have very good reason to believe all the ones dealing with the future will also come to pass. God has staked his reputation on it. You can hold fast to hope. His reputation is resting in the balance on whether what he has stated will come to pass, what he has promised to you will take place. And I can guarantee you God thinks more highly of his name, according to the scriptures, than anything else. 
He's exalted his name and his word above the heavens. Hold fast to hope it will be realized in God's time. And so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Abraham waited and obtained the promise. Hope will be realized in God's time. I know we want it realized in our time. We want to be in control. We want to set the timetable. We want it yesterday. But God knows better. We can't fathom his purpose. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts, the scripture says. We're in no position to pass judgment on God that what he's doing, that his timetable, his time frame is not perfect. There's no way to improve on perfection. Hold fast to hope. Everything he's promised you as a believer in Christ will come to pass in his time. Not one thing will be left out. You can trust in him. He staked his reputation on it. He proved it through past fulfilled promises and prophecy. He proved it even more according to the scriptures by giving us his beloved son. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, to, died for us. For he who gave us his only beloved son, how will he not also with him freely give us all thanks? The scripture says, everything he's promised you will be realized in his time. Be patient. Hold fast to hope. There is no disputing God's promises. They are unchangeable. For men swear by one greater than themselves. An oath given as confirmation is the end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. God promised and he gave an oath. It is unchangeable, the scripture says. It will not change. What he promised to Abraham will be fully realized. What he promised to David will be realized. What he promised in a roundabout way to Eve will be realized that and was realized that her descendant, the descendant of Eve, would crush the serpent's head. And that was realized 2,000 years ago. God's promises are unchangeable. It will never change because he is unchangeable. He said this about himself in Malachi. I, the Lord, I change not. In Hebrews 13, when we get there, you'll see the writer says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yea, and forever. God never changes. That's hard for us to grasp because we're all about change. We're all about progress. We're all about improvement. And to a large degree, it's right that we are. 
But God is already perfect. You can't improve on perfection. And because he's perfectly holy, he can never be diminished. So he can never improve because he's perfect, and he can never diminish because he's perfect. Lastly, hold fast to hope because Christ is holding fast to you. We're going to see how this comes out. Hold fast to hope because of God's unchangeable promise and oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. God gave a promise and swore an oath that he would never leave you nor forsake you. Hold fast to hope because he is his promise, by his promise and his oath, he is holding fast to you. Hold fast to hope because it's impossible for God to lie, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. He does not have the ability to lie. That word impossible also carries the idea of unable, unable, able ability. He does not have the ability to lie. It's not part of his nature. This is why Jesus Christ could say, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. Christ himself stated that he is the only way of salvation. It's impossible for God to lie. So you can trust in what he has promised, in what he says in his word, and you can hold fast to hope because everything that you hope for will be realized. Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When the world talks about hope, it talks about wishing. They just mean wish. Oh, I hope I win Powerball. What they really mean is, I wish I would win Powerball. Biblical hope is different than mere wishing. Biblical hope is founded upon, rooted and grounded upon the promises of God that are expressed in his word. That's why hope is different than wishing. Hope is a certainty. We just don't see it yet. We don't see it with our eyes. We're not experiencing it in our life, at least not fully. Some we are, but some are yet future. Hold fast to hope. It is your safe refuge in times of trials. So it is impossible in, in the trials of life. So it is impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. Hold fast to hope. It is your safe refuge. This is cyclical. Keeping hope firmly in view causes us to take refuge in the hopes and promises of God. And when we do that, when we take refuge in them, it only strengthens hope. It reinforces hope as we continue to trust in God. Hold fast to hope. It is your strong encouragement in the trials of life. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. Again, the more encouraged we are, the more we grasp the hopes of God. 
And the more we hope in God, the more encouragement it is. The hopes of God don't discourage us. They are great encouragement. One encouragement he had already given them. God is not unjust so as to forget their labors and their love toward his name. Hope in God, it will be a strong encouragement for you. It fuels us during times of trial. Hold fast to hope, but it's right there in front of you, even in the midst of trials. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. Oh, but you might say, uh, you know, Paul, uh, you know, in the midst of a trial, I can't see any hope. I can't see clearly. All I see is the turmoil and the trouble and the problems around me. And you know, I get that. Been there, done that. I can understand. Sometimes the trials can be so overwhelming. I try to recall scripture that I've read, that, that I've learned, that I've heard, that I've memorized, and I'm drawing a blank. So I understand. I'm looking for help and guidance, and, and I'm coming up dry. I'm coming up empty. When that happens, if that ever happens to you, do what I have found works. When, when I can't think of the scriptures that give me guidance, that give me understanding, that give me hope, that help me make sense of everything. When I can't think of the specific verses, here's what I do. I go to the cross. I go to the cross. I go to the cross and the empty tomb. Virtually every principle of living the Christian life in a way that will glorify God and Christ, virtually everything that is needed to have hope restored and joy and to have hope in a future is found in the empty tomb. I go there to the cross and the empty tomb and I see in the words of Jesus, in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and then his resurrection, I see what it is that I need to understand about what I'm experiencing in life. As far as hope, look to the empty tomb. It's empty. Jesus Christ said, because I live, you will live also. Now, if that doesn't give you hope that things are going to be better for you in his time, in his timetable, then I don't know what will. Because he lives, you will live also. Go to the cross. Look at our Lord there. Look at how he conducted himself. Look at the things that he said. Go to the empty tomb and see 
He is not there, but he is risen, and you too can rise above the hopelessness of the trials in your life. Hold fast to hope. It is the anchor of your soul. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. He's using a, a nautical analogy here, a boating analogy, a marine analogy, an anchor. You know what an anchor does? If a boat doesn't drop anchor, and if that anchor doesn't find a secure hold on something on the, on the lake floor uh, or the sea floor, then currents and waves and the wind will just move that boat along. It'll drift, and it will keep on drifting further and further away from the place it should be. But the hope that God gives you is an anchor of your soul. It will hold you in place where you're supposed to be. Hold fast to hope and you will never be shaken. This hope we have as an anchor of, a, of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. It's sure and steadfast. It's not even going to drag across a sandy bottom. That anchor, when dropped, is going to engage in something that will hold that boat in place. God's hope is an anchor of your soul. It will hold you in place. You won't turn from Christ and turn back to your old life. He's telling them they will not turn back to Judaism. I'm telling you, you will not turn back to your old way of life or to any replacement for Christ. Hope in Christ and it will hold you fast. Hold fast to hope it anchors you to God's very presence. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. What is he talking about here? When, this week, when you have time, read Leviticus chapter 16, the Day of Atonement. This was the only time that the high priest and only the high priest could enter a certain area. In the tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build in the wilderness and in Solomon's temple that God allowed Solomon to build, there was the outer area where people and worshipers would gather. There was an altar in that outer area in the tabernacle and in the temple where sacrifices were offered. But then there was an inner structure, an inner tent totally closed over, or an inner building in Solomon's temple known as the sanctuary. It was divided into two parts. Two-thirds was the holy place, and then the back third was the holy of holies, the sanctum sanctorum, where the very presence of God, the Shekinah glory or the Shekinah glory was there, a shimmering cloud between the angels and their outstretched wings, the covering of the Ark of the Covenant, the Shekinah glory of God was there. Into that Holy of Holies, the high priest and only the high priest could go once a year on, day of, on the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. 
And he could only go there with blood, with a blood sacrifice, and he would sprinkle that blood. There was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. Beyond that veil, he could go only once a year. That was the veil that when the Lord Jesus Christ died, that veil was torn from top to bottom, opening the way into the holy of holies, into God's very presence. God's hope anchors you to God's very presence. It goes within the veil. Into the very presence of God is what he's saying. The hope that's in your heart will draw you into God's presence. And one day, in reality, you will experience being in God's presence. Read Revelation chapters 4 and 5, and you'll get a little foretaste of what that will be like. Hold fast to hope because Jesus is the forerunner holding fast to you. This hope is an anchor of the soul and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. Jesus has gone before he is pictured in Hebrews as our high priest who ever stands before God pleading his blood on our behalf. This word forerunner was used by Greeks of an initial party, an, uh, an initial individual or a party that would go first and then others were sure to follow. It was guaranteed where the forerunner went, others would follow. Christ is our forerunner. Where he is in the very presence of God, seated at the right hand of God, he is our forerunner. It is certain that we will follow him there. Hold fast to hope because Jesus is your high priest pleading his blood, Jesus having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to be told this, that Christ, is, as our high priest, is able to save us forever since he ever lives to make intercession for us. His intercession is he pleads his blood on our behalf. His blood has paid the penalty for our sin. Christ is your high priest. Did you ever think about that? Even right now, as we sit here and we consider him, he is pleading his blood in heaven for you. Can you imagine that? I mean, would we love it if some famous person spoke well of us? How about Elon Musk, the richest man in the world? Boy, wouldn't you like him to say something good about you? Or maybe one of your heroes? But this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He ever lives to make intercession to speak of you to the Father. In conclusion, Christ is revealed as the refuge and anchor of your soul 
your only hope of salvation. God wants you to know that if you have truly trusted in Jesus for salvation, that your hope is secure because he will hold you fast. That forerunner was also used of individuals who went in a small boat ahead of a larger boat. In the ancient world, there were harbors that ships needed to get to to unload cargo or take cargo on. Some of these harbors could only be entered at high tide. At low tide, they had to stay outside the harbor. But then they were exposed to high winds and storms on occasion. When that was the case, when they arrived at low tide and they could only get in when the tide was higher, they would lower the anchor into a small boat known as, and the individuals on it were known as the forerunner. And they would go into the shallows, drop the anchor to hold the ship fast. It seems that perhaps the writer is carrying this nautical analogy a little further. That Christ as the forerunner, the hope is the anchor of the soul, but Christ as the forerunner is holding us fast, making sure that we will never be lost. Your salvation is secure if you've truly trusted in Jesus. Today, let me challenge you with this. Will you begin to understand that hope is not based upon feelings? Feelings are never a good judge of anything. They are never a good reason to make a decision. Feelings can fool you. Understand that hope is not based upon feelings, but upon the promises of God. And today, will you understand that if you are a true believer, you will hold fast, not because of your own efforts alone, but because Christ is holding you fast. He'll not let your soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold you fast. We sing that here sometimes. It's true, those words.